Well, happy Easter. Um, I'll let you into the world of Robert Bell for a little bit. Some of you know sometimes it's funny. Sometimes you know when I do that, it's just awkward. But here we go. Um, One of the challenges I feel about weekends like Resurrection Sunday weekend or Easter weekend is that uh, we've been doing this for like 2,000 years. So that's somewhere around 10,000 times that the church has been doing this Sunday, Passover Sunday, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And I don't know if you know about human nature at all, but we tend to get bored with repetition. We, we tend to do that, right? Um, we tend to, to get used to things. We tend to presume. And then the, the reason you started doing something can kind of get lost, Right? Um, the reason that you have an Easter Sunday can get lost. And so I, I feel a particular challenge and a particular burden to be unusual on events like this, which, if you know me, you know that that comes fairly natural to me to start off with, to be abnormal. And, but I, I feel like I have to indulge that a little bit. Um, and so I'm just letting you into my world and letting you into my thought process. And so I want to take the resurrection in a slightly different di- direction than maybe would be anticipated. Uh, The resurrection of Jesus Christ, when Jesus was uh, literally dead for a certain amount of hours, dying on Good Friday by execution, by crucifixion, and ensured to be dead by professional executioners. So he was surrounded by Roman soldiers who did this for a living, making sure people were dead. That's why they speared him in his chest after it looked like he died really quick. If you remember the story, they were surprised how quickly he died. And so they didn't quite believe it. Maybe they thought some people could kind of fake it just like hold your breath and pretend to be dead. So they let you down. So they speared him in the chest so that his blood would come out to make sure he was dead. They were looking for a wince or some kind of, you know, something like that. And so they ensured he was dead and he um, was buried before sunset on that Friday and he spent the entire day in the tomb while everybody who had had any kind of hope in him just despaired and wept. And then he came out of the grave that Sunday morning and everything's been different. That was the beginning of the new creation. That was the beginning of a new work of God that brings an end to everything that had come before and started a new existence. And like God can do, it started off really quietly. Um, Obviously, God is not involved in any uh, public relations or marketing education because the biggest thing he ever did, he didn't... He told people it was going to happen, but just a bunch of ex-fishermen found out about it at first. But everything changed. And so death is defeated, yes. And our sins are forgiven, yes. And we have hope of everlasting life, yes. And we have a friend who sits on the throne in heaven, yes. And, and so there's so much packed into this event where a real, true human body came back after being dead to a life that never ends. And he's still alive now. That's one of the miracles about it. It's, it wasn't just that the EMS showed up with their elect their lightning paddles and they clear <laughs> cough the water out and you know lives for a few more decades and then has a real funeral he came back from the dead and stayed alive and out of his life comes all life that's going to last so i could talk about all of that stuff but this morning i want to take um I just want to take one perspective on the resurrection for us to focus on, and this is it. I want to say that when 
when God raised Jesus from the dead, he was proving that he is the heavenly father. That's what I want to say this morning. When Jesus came out of the grave, God was saying, I am the heavenly father Jesus was telling everyone about. Saying it one more time. When Jesus came out of the grave, God the Father was saying to the universe and to all the forces of darkness and to everyone who would be born afterwards, I really am the Father God that Jesus was telling you about. Here's a scripture from the, from the Gospel of John. Jesus talking about being the good shepherd. He says this, this is chapter 10, starting in verse 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. He says, I'm the good shepherd because I know the father. I know who God is and I am his good shepherd. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep, talking about being crucified for our sins. I'm the good shepherd. I know the father. The father knows me and I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. And he says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, meaning us Gentiles, who aren't first century Jews. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Okay, so this is what's going on. Jesus is talking to this crowd. They're kind of hostile. The more Jesus talked about God being his Father, the more people got uncomfortable and didn't like it. And so he's saying to them, I'm a good shepherd. You guys know about shepherds. You know about people who take care of sheep and go and rescue them when they get lost and try to help them get better when they get sick. You guys understand this. He says, I am a really good shepherd because most shepherds are just hired hands. And when a wolf comes or a lion comes, they think, me, sheep, me, sheep, me, sheep. I'm going with me. You know, you throw one of the sick ones at the lion until he gets full, you know. there's that old joke, you know, two guys run into a bear when they're wandering around in the woods. And uh, they start running, and he says, one says to the other one, I don't think we can outrun this bear. And the other guy says to him, I don't need to unrun a, outrun a bear, I just need to outrun you. Right? He's not a good shepherd, that guy. He's like, here's a lion, the bear, here, eat the sheep, I'm out of here. And Jesus says, I'm not like a hired hand shepherd. I'm a good shepherd because I would die to protect my sheep, and I will die to protect my sheep. So far, so okay. But then he starts talking about his father, and he says, the father God loves me because I'm willing to lay down my life for his sheep. And he says, no one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. No one's going to kill me. I'm giving my life down. No one has the right to kill him. No one has the power to kill me. I'm the son of God. But I'm going to lay down my life for my sheep. And so the father's pleased with me. And then he says, even a step further, he says, I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. And the scriptures go on to say, there was again division among the Jews because of these words. And many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? 
That was their response, okay? Jesus is saying, I'm going to lay down my life, and then I'm going to take my life back because God, told, God my Father told me to do it. And like normal people kind of would, the crowd listening to him and said, you're demon-possessed and crazy. We're out of here. But other people said, it says, can someone who's demon-possessed uh, open the eyes of the blind? And so they were trying to figure it out. How can he can do such miracles and talk so crazy? How can he do things that only God can do and yet sound insane? And the issue was that Jesus knew that his father is a good heavenly father. And he knew the father's will for his life. And he knew he could trust his father and he knew his father loved him. And so when he had this mission from God to go and die for sinners, to go and gather the father's sheep to him by dying for him, to Jesus, this, was, that this made sense. And he was okay with the plan, even though it was going to hurt and cost him quite a bit. But he's like, I know who my father is, and so I do the plan. And I'm, I've been given authority to die, and I've, <laughs> which is crazy to us. Wait, you mean you need permission? Yeah, of course Jesus did. He only did what the father told him to do, and if it was not the father's will for him to die, it wouldn't have happened. People could have shot him up all day, and he would be like, God doesn't want me to die, so here I am. That's a little bit strange. Except that you read the book and there were a few times people tried to kill him and he just walked away. So, but this is my point. Jesus, before he died, said, I'm going to come back because the Father told me to. And so when he went into the grave, if he never came out, this would have been a rejection of the sonship of Christ and a non-existence of the Father that Jesus was talking about. It would have said, whatever Jesus said about God being his Father was wrong. Because he went into the grave saying, I'm just doing what my good Father tells me to do. And this is kind of how the people who were killing Jesus thought about it too. Okay, so let's skip out of John and go over to Matthew for a second. And the day that Jesus was being crucified, they, you might remember once they had him on the cross, they began to mock him. Okay, and, and Matthew records the mocking like this. Let me read it to you. This is chapter 27. And it says, and it says this, And those who passed by derided him, which means made fun of him, despised him. Wagging their heads, we would probably use different appendages on our hands to do what the wagging of their heads meant back then. And saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, and God is your Father, come down from the cross. So the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, he saved others. He can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him if he desires him. For he said, I'm the son of God. And so while Jesus was dying on the cross, the people around him were saying to him, we are right now proving to you that God is not your father. You stupid, stupid wannabe lying would be Messiah. We right now with the cross are proving to you and everyone else you are not the son of God and your father is not God, whoever you think your father is. And God is not your father. And we're proving it because you're dying. And when you're dead, we will have proved that you are not the son of God and God is not your father and whoever your father is, he isn't God because he didn't save you. 
That was part of the point of the crucifixion, to prove to the world that there is no heavenly father. Because if there were a heavenly father, he would have stopped Jesus from dying. So the people crucifying Jesus agreed. This was about whether or not there's a heavenly father. And Jesus agreed with them. This is about whether there's a heavenly father. There's a difference. The unbelievers thought his death meant there is no good God ruling over the world who is a father. And Jesus thought his resurrection, whether or not he came back from the dead, was the issue. And so when he came out of the grave on that sunny Sunday morning, he came out unsurprised, right? Who, who was the only person not surprised by the resurrection? Jesus. Why? Because he knew his father was good and all-powerful and completely in control, and he was just obeying anyway, so it was impossible for him to stay dead when his heavenly father said, you're going to come out of here on the third day. So though it was very unpleasant to go to the cross and he didn't actually love it, he was not surprised that Sunday morning when he woke up. And he was a little bit miffed that everybody else was. Because they were surprised because they didn't believe in the goodness of the Heavenly Father. That was the issue. Can I tell you something, church? That's always the issue. That is always the issue. The Heavenly Father is always every issue. Is the one who is first and in charge of everything, is he good? Is he in control? Does he love us? That's the issue. And Jesus said, yes, yes, yes. He sent me to die to rescue you. And when I come out of the grave, from then on, you don't have the right to ask the question anymore. I am going to prove to you that my father is so good. And my father is so in control that even my brutal, torturous death won't stop him. And loves you so much that when I come out, I am going to make sure that when you believe in me, you get adopted by my dad and I am going to bring you home. Thank you, Dave. First Peter three eighteen, the bulletin verse. Sometimes I preach the bulletin verse, sometimes it's just related and I let you figure it out how it's all connected. There you go. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that we might that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. This is mission. In Jesus' head, his father is so good that he needs to bring us to him so that he can be our dad too. He was willing to suffer and he was willing to die 
And he wanted to come back from the grave so that he could get us forgiven by having our sins paid for on the cross, just like they showed us our sins destroyed, sucked into the black hole of Jesus' death, never to be seen again, so that he could accomplish his mission as the good shepherd to get the sheep back to the Father. And you know what? Would it make any sense if being God's children is a bad thing? If it's bad to have God as your father, why would Jesus ever bring us there? If it was a letdown, if it was worse than being a billionaire, if it was worse than having great health all the time, if it was worse than the life you can imagine for yourself, why in the world would a good Jesus ever die to bring you home to the Father if that's not the best thing? Is Jesus stupid? I want to bring you home to my Father. Well, is he good? Not really. Why are you bringing me home? Does he have the power to be in control of my life? Nope. Why would you take me there? Will he love me forever? Maybe. Don't do it. Jesus would be an idiot if he died to bring us to a father who is not worth coming to. He's so good and so strong. And loves us so much. The overflowing generosity of Jesus is, I need to bring you to my dad. It's the best thing that could ever happen to you. Now, one of the reasons why I think preaching the fatherhood of God from the resurrection is so important to us is because the resurrection is the most important thing, and it counts. It's meant to change our life. And the reality is, is that in the West, for people like us who kind of lived in North America for most of our lives, we live in the most not believing in the Father God culture that has maybe ever existed. Everything that our culture believes starts with one conviction that they, people don't talk about. We just assume it to be true, like gravity. Nobody tells their kids when they send their kids off to school, don't forget gravity. Don't forget to obey the laws of gravity. Don't want you to just go fly out into the moon. We just assume it that it's going gonna, it's gonna to be there. Right? That's why we talk about lunches and keeping your shoes clean with the mud. Because you're not sure that's going to happen. Right? The one thing we all assume to be true in our culture is that there is no Father God in heaven. We just start off believing this. We believe in Darwinism, that the beginning of life starts with there not being a Father God who created life and love because it was a beautiful thing. We, it was just this gunk, and then it started to develop, and then life is all about competition and things striving to overcome each other, and it's survival of the fittest, and it's mostly just by accident, and the strong survive. That's the meaning of life. We're here by accident and the strong survive. And whatever you think, everything, your life is not here because of a good father God, the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. When it comes to like economics in the last hundred years, don't let me lose you with these isms. Like it's, you, these, these things are, these ideas are impacting you even though you don't know their name. The idea of Marxism, which is this idea that there is no Father God, there's just stuff. There's just the stuff you can own or buy or build. That's all that really exists is people and stuff. 
And he said, you've got to fight to get more power over this stuff. So if there's rich people in the country and poor people in the country, who are the bad guys? The rich people. You ever heard that? Because all that there is is stuff. There's no father who could love you if you don't have stuff. There's no father in heaven who is worth more than having stuff. There's no father in heaven that's more important than an iPhone or house. So if you don't have those things, you need to fight. Because that's all that there is, is the stuff, and you're all alone. And there's no one who's going to love you forever. Well, those worlds kind of fall apart with Darwinism. It went all wrong because people started actually believing that there's evolutionary advancement among people, and there's certain people who are more advanced than other people, and if the people who are more advanced want to either enslave or perform holocausts against the people who aren't as evolutionarily advanced as the other people, it creates quite a bloodbath, and people kind of got embarrassed about that stuff, and so we don't actually try to apply that idea anymore. And Marxism led to... Huge revolutions that killed millions of people, followed by huge starvations as people tried to get control over stuff that killed millions of people. And so as people got kind of embarrassed about the results about that stuff, we changed some of our ideas, and we just started talking about it more about individuals. And then this idea of existentialism came up. Please don't let me lose you again, and I know this sounds like school, but this is the world you live in. And this is the idea. When it comes to you having meaning for your life and you being here for a reason, there is no Father God in heaven who you can come to through Jesus who makes you important and knows who you are and gives you purpose and value without you having to do anything. It says, if you're going to have any value, you're going to have to make it up for yourself. And if you're going to have any meaning, you're going to have to accomplish something in order to look yourself in the mirror and say, I mean something now because I did this. And it ends up with ideas of like, you need to be able to come whoever you want to be. You need to follow your dreams and achieve your goals and, and fulfill your purpose in life. And whatever that purpose is, you need to start off by making it up for yourself. And if you're really good and you've got the money and you've got the stuff, then you can own what you want to own and get what you want to get and achieve what you want to achieve and go where you want to go. And then at the end of your life, you can look yourself in the mirror and say, I made myself someone important. But the first assumption is there's nobody in heaven who thinks you're important. There's nobody in heaven who made you important. There's nobody in heaven who loves you. So if anyone's going to love you, you're going to have to love yourself. Anybody ever heard that before? It's the world we live in. It's the world we live in. Secularism is the idea that when it comes to politics, there is no Father God in heaven who is able to take care of us. So if anyone's going to be our dad, it's going to need to be the government. But we're going to have a broken relationship. So when it comes to the government, it's their job to take care of us and give us money while we complain about them. That's broken fatherhood right there, right? Dad, you're a terrible dad. Now, give me some money so I can go spend some time with my friends. We are the prodigal sons. 
we just want the money so we can go and party and we're out of here. Even environmentalism. I haven't picked on this one in church yet, so I'm going to do it. I was listening to, there's this young lady who I grew up with in church, and she grew up and she was expressing online the pessimism she has in, in life because of her fears about the environment going bad. And I just kind of couldn't understand because just on, in, on paper, it's like you live in the safest country in the world with free health care, and we haven't been touched by war in almost three generations, and you're despairing because someday the environment might go bad. And I cannot understand the mindset unless you believe that when it comes to the environment, there is no Father God in heaven who can do anything or rescue or save us. Nobody has their hands on the dial of the temperature of the world. And then I think, you know what I've never heard of? An environmentalist prayer meeting. I've never heard of anybody say, it's getting warm in Canada, why don't we pray? Because, you, because the whole worldview starts with, there's no one to pray to. Christian, this is your world. It doesn't believe Jesus came back from the dead. It doesn't believe that there is a Father in heaven who is worth just not having anything in this life as long as you have his love. You're told every day that you need to fight and claw and achieve and get promoted and own and get. If your life's going to have any meaning, it has to be full of success in you achieving your goals and being strong. And the underlying thing they want you to really believe is and there is no heavenly father who is strengthening your weakness who considers you insanely valuable just by grace who will totally love you forever and can't wait till you die so you could see his son face to face and by the way this world that we live in is toast anyways because Jesus is going to come back and put an end to all this fatherless garbage So, if I could do one thing for you this morning, other than like ruining your day, anybody, anybody, you're going to go home, I was just excited about Ham, and now he said that I don't have a father, or act like, it. I don't know, I'm all depressed. <laughs> if I could bless you in one way this Easter Sunday, um, speaking of the word Easter, if you're not from Canada or originally, just so you know, um, chocolate Easter bunnies and Candy eggs have nothing to do with being a Christian. Even the word Easter is like named after an old god from Persia. It's Resurrection Sunday. Good. That's it. If I could do one thing for us this morning, I would want us to, to see this. Because Jesus came out of the grave, his life as a son is a good life. That's what I would want us to believe. Jesus' life as a son under the Father 
where he just lived for the Father's will. He delighted in it. And he totally believed that his father was in control all the time and could suffer through it. And he never thought for a minute that his father didn't love him and was absolutely stable because of it. This is a good life. Even if you don't have any money. Even if you never get promoted. Even if you're sick all the time. Even if nobody likes you. Even if you can post on Facebook all the time and you never get a thumbs up. You just get one of those faces with the the line straight across every time. You just can't impress anybody. You know what? If you have the life of Christ, which is just a life obsessed with the Father, it is the good life. Because what did the Father do with Jesus' life of loss? He He never even owned a house, guys. He didn't own a car. He walked everywhere. And his friends were kind of often only his friends while he was healing people. He had a bit of a rich man friendship, right? More money, more problems. As the prophet said a few years ago, it's like, uh, prophet daddy. um, People liked Jesus when he was giving away stuff for free, like healings and bread. And then when all of a sudden he started talking about just being happy with the father while you suffer, everyone walked away. It It was the good life. Because he totally had the Father. The resurrection proved it. That was the Father saying, my son's life was the good life. Because he always had me, and I only let him be dead for two days because of it. If I could do anything for us today, I would get us to believe, as long as I have the Father through Jesus, I have a good life. As long as I have his love through Jesus, I have a good life. And no matter what happens, I'm under the, the Lord's the control and power. This is a good life, no matter what happens. And I get to obey God's commands. This is a good life. This, can I just, you can tell whether or not you're, you've been living how I'm talking about by this one thing. I'm going to ask a question. Everyone's going to feel bad. Excited? This week, did you wake up excited one morning because you got to obey God's commands? Just like, oh, I wake up into another day where God has revealed himself to me through his word and I get to just obey him. And you're so excited. This was going to be so good just to figure out what God wants you to do and do it. Anybody? Nobody? Did you ever wake up hoping to get something done for yourself? Okay. Jesus' life living for the will of the Father. We do one story and then we'll wrap it up. I think I may have talked about wrapping it up before, but you're getting one extra story. Bonus story. Everyone likes getting more than you paid for. Bonus story. All right. A little bit earlier in Jesus' ministry, the woman at the well, we've talked about this recently. Remember, he's been traveling for a long time. He's really tired. It's super hot in the Middle East all the time. They don't have winter. It just means rain. And uh, so he's traveling, and he's super tired, and he sits down at the well, and he's hungry, and his disciples are going to go to the city to go buy some food, right? Do you remember this? And a woman comes out, and they have this conversation, and she gets saved because she believes that he's the Messiah, and she runs off to go and tell the city, and the disciples come back with all the food. And then do you remember what happens? Verse 31 of chapter 4. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Okay, so he's all hungry. He's tired. He's like, oh, I can't even go to the city. 
just going to sit here by the well. They're like, we'll go get you some food. They walk back. They, they go through the whole thing of ordering the food. They wait at the, the line up in there. How many seconds do I need to wait for my French fries? It's been 38 seconds. I want free French fries. You know, they're like that. McDonald's. And so they're totally like that. And then they come back and they've got all this food. They've gotten all this work. They've gone to the city and they're trying to feed Jesus. He's like, I'm full. Sorry, guys. Stuffed. And they're looking at each other going, did, did you give him something? Or did, you give, did he have a granola bar hidden in his robe somewhere? You know, did he, or did he just have some leftover French fries from McDonald's? Because those never go bad. They'd never go bad. They're like, you can call them resurrection fries because they live forever. It's, I don't even know what it is. But did he sneak some food? Because he's not hungry anymore. And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What? Here's Jesus. He's like, I'm not hungry anymore because I did my father's will. Yes! I had this idea for a book that's going to make a million dollars while I was weeping during the worship there. I was just like, we call it the obedience diet. People dropping pounds like this. You just be like, don't eat. Just obey God's word. Yes! What you do is you write the book under a false name, make your million, and then fake that person's death. What am I talking about here? If it's true that the father that Jesus was talking about is, is real, which God proved to be true by raising his son from the dead, Jesus told us that Doing what God wants is more satisfying than food when you're hungry. To obey him as a beloved child is, is better. What? Who lives like that? Not a lot of us because we're half in this, I need to take care of myself. I'm all alone. There is no father in heaven. I need to achieve. I need to get. I need to satisfy myself. I need to support myself. I need to please myself. I have to take care of myself because there is no father in heaven. And I'm also a Christian and I believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I believe all the Bible. And we're just double-minded. And the resurrection says don't do that. You don't need to be double-minded. Come to Jesus and believe in him and he will make his father your father and he will take all the love that the father has for him and he will say, I include you in that so you're just as loved as Jesus is. And now you can absolutely delight just to trust in the father and obey him and gain or lose or win or fail and it's all the same because God working out his plan. And you're not losing the father. And so what could you ever actually lose in life that's worth keeping? when you have the Father of Christ.